Hey everyone, welcome to the Assurus in Action podcast. More specifically, welcome to the first episode in our special podcast series about U.S. regulations on food contact materials and articles. This is going to be a three-part series and we are very excited to bring it to you. My name is Tommy Savarese. I'm a food contact compliance manager here at Intertech. <laughs> and today I'm sitting with Ashley Spann, food contact regulatory project manager who's going to help us dig into this very intriguing topic. Yeah, thank you, Tommy. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So uh, to get started, Ashley, how are food contact materials and articles regulated in the U.S.? And who's in charge of overseeing this? Yes, so the Food and Drug Administration, or also known as the U.S. FDA, um, they're a governmental agency in the U.S. that regulates the food contact substances, materials, and articles. Um, all existing regulations are published in the Code of Federal Regulations. That's also going to be commonly referred to as the CFR, and you might hear me refer to it that way throughout. Um, but more specifically, the regulations in Title 21 CFR Parts 170 through 199 are applicable to food additives. Okay, so food additives are listed in 21 CFR, but if I'm asking about food contact materials or articles, not additives, why would regulations that pertain to food additives be relevant here? Yes, I can see why this might be a little bit confusing, um, but as you had pointed out, the FDA looks at food contact materials or articles from the perspective of additives to food. So these additives can be direct or indirect. And similarly, food contact materials can be considered direct or indirect. So let me, let me try to explain a little bit further for you. Yeah, please do. All right. So there are food additives or substances that can become part of the food, right? So a direct food additive is a substance that is intentionally added to the food for example, like a sweetener or maybe a preservative. Mm -hmm. But then there are also indirect food additives. And these are the substances that unintentionally become part of the food, often by way of migration through migration from a food contact material. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense so far. Perfect. So then there are food contact materials or articles. If you remember... Um, the food contact materials can also be direct or indirect. So a direct food contact material is a material that directly contacts the food. It sounds kind of obvious, right? Mm -hmm. So many people believe that, <clears throat> that a material or component that is not intended to contact food would not fall under the food contact regulations, but that's not entirely true. Really? Yeah. So even food contact materials that are separated from the food by direct food contact materials are subject to the regulations as well. Mm -hmm. So to give you kind of an example of this, uh, let's look at like a candy box. So the non-printed side of the paperboard is the direct food contact material on the inside of the box. However, the, the ink that's printed on the outside of the package or even the adhesives used on the seams of the box would also be considered um, indirect food contact materials. And just to be clear, each of the components, say the paperboard, the ink, the adhesive, all of these would be considered food contact materials where the final box might be considered the food contact article. 
Okay, wait, so you're saying that even an outside layer needs to be regulated? It seems unlikely that anything that's not food contact layer would become a food additive, right? I'm not adding anything into the food, and my product isn't even being made at the same facility as the food. Well, actually, Tommy, this is a common misconception. So substances from a food contact material, whether by, in, by direct or indirect food contact, can actually migrate into the food. And that substance then becomes an additive and then therefore becomes subject to the FDA regulation. So one way you can visualize this is, have you ever bought those like artificially colored flowers and put them in a vase of water? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Those flowers that have extra vibrant petals from the dye coloring. Yeah, exactly. So you can think of the flower as the food contact material and the water as the food, okay? So after a day or so, the water kind of starts to have that same tint as the colored flowers. This isn't because you added the dye directly to the water, like a direct food additive, but by virtue of it being in contact with the flower or the food contact material in this example, the dye has now become part of the water or the food. So it's now considered an indirect food additive. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I can see the logic now. Thanks. So in the example of the candy box, all of the food contact materials would be subject to FDA regulation per 21 CFR as indirect food additives, whether they are direct or indirect. Is that yes. right? Oh, great. So how are you going to make sure that these materials are compliant? So holistically speaking, food contact compliance consists of three main components or requirements, let's say, that need to be met. These include um, the framework regulation, any of the applicable specific material regulations, and good manufacturing practices, or also known as GMP for short. So the framework regulation specifies that food contact materials cannot endanger human health, change the composition of the food, or affect the organoleptic properties. So meaning like the sensory aspects, like taste, smell, um, even sight of the food. Okay. Then there are specific material regulations that govern the use of different food contact materials. For example, there's specific regulations for paper and paperboard, polyolefins, and so on. These can include the material regulations at the federal, national, and state level. And these regulations include positive lists of the materials that are approved by the government agencies. Um, limitations for use on specific substances were applicable, and then they set forth any of the requirements for testing. So actually, one of the biggest misconceptions is that a compliant test result will equate to food contact compliance, but testing is truly only one piece of the compliance requirement. Then, finally, GMP or good manufacturing practices are required to ensure that there are quality systems in manufacturing processes in place to avoid contamination during manufacturing of food contact articles or substances. GMP also ensures that the material or article is only being used at the level that's actually necessary to achieve its technical function and that it's of suitable purity for food contact. Okay, so hold on. So are you saying that I need to be compliant with multiple regulations? Yeah, kind of. So a good place to start is the framework regulation. 
or 21 CFR section 174.5, and that has the general provisions applicable to indirect food additives. So if you meet the applicable requirements of the specific material regulations and good manufacturing practices, this would also kind of demonstrate compliance with the framework regulation. Oh, okay. I got it. So the framework is kind of like the foundation that lays out the requirements. I think all of us may be thinking that determining whether a material or article is compliant can get pretty complicated. How do you typically go about evaluating a product? First, we would determine what the type of material is, or in the case of a food contact article, the materials for each of those individual components. Once we identify all of the applicable regulations, we could evaluate each of the components against their respective regulations to ensure compositional compliance and perform any required testing. So to put it simply, once we can determine that the material or article is compositionally compliant and that it has passed any compliance testing and we have ensured that good manufacturing practices have been followed in its production, we are then able to claim its compliance with the US FDA food contact regulations. Okay, so you made that sound simple. Maybe we can walk through an example, like the candy box you previously mentioned, so I can make sure that we all understand. Absolutely, so let's break this into phases. The first would be the regulatory compliance review to determine the regulatory status of each of the components or materials in the candy box, the paperboard, the ink, and the adhesive. So first, we would need to obtain all of the required product and regulatory information, such as the intended end use of the product, including things like food contact time, food contact temperatures, and the types of food it would be in contact with, and whether the material is a single or repeat use article. So in the candy box example, we might assume that it would be in contact with dry solids that have surfaces containing free fats or oils, used at room temperature for up to six months for a single application. These uses are important to know when reviewing the components because we need to ensure that the food contact materials are regulated for that specific intended end use of the article or candy box. So secondly, we would need the component or formulation information depending on the material. If the individual food contact materials already have FDA food contact compliance, then we just need to review the compliance documentation from each of those suppliers to ensure that the statements are sufficient and support the intended end use of the product being evaluated. However, if the components do not have current regulatory compliance, then we would need to obtain the formulations of each of the individual components from the suppliers and review them against their applicable regulations. In addition, we may need to review other information as well, depending on the actual article, such as the description of the manufacturing processes or procedures. For products like the candy box, we would need to review the loading and laydown rates of the printed ink on the outside of the packaging. All right, so let's say the candy box manufacturer supplied all this information, and we determined that each of the components are regulated for the intended end use. Now what? Sure, then we would move into phase two, where we perform the compliance testing. So based on the applicable regulations for each of the components, the final article may be required to demonstrate that it passes any of the limitations that would be set forward by those material regulations. So for the candy box example, the paperboard 
would be subject to 21 CFR 176-170 extraction testing. However, depending on the ink, it might be subject to further toxicological assessments or calculations or even further testing to determine if it's being used in an acceptable and safe level for its intended end use. Got it. So for the sake of this example, if all the components are regulated for their intended end use and the testing has shown compliant results, I can now say that my candy box is food contact compliant. Is that right? Yes, as long as there are also good manufacturing practices in place, then you are correct. All right. So what if something is or isn't regulated, but not for its intended end use? What options do we have there? Tommy, that's actually a really great question, um, but I think... That might have to be the start of our next episode as we are running out of time on this one. Yeah, definitely. I think I have enough uh, to think about for today and all of our listeners um, probably feel the same way. So uh, thank you for all your insight on US FDA food contact compliance so far. And I think uh, we'll be happy to pick this up uh, later. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, thank you, Tommy. And thank you everyone for listening.